The scripture reading for today's sermon is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Indeed, we've been going through a series in 1 Peter on our identity in Christ. Reflecting on this passage here this morning that is before us, and I hope you have your Bibles as you will uh, be able to follow along as we uh, dissect some of these words and thoughts. But as we reflect on that, I'm reminded of the Walton family. Not the Waltons from TV, but Sam Walton and Bud Walton, the founders of Walmart. There you go. Now you're with me, right? Everybody knows what Walmart is. Sam Walton and his brother Bud founded Walmart. And when uh, Sam Walton died, Sam Walton died as one of the richest men in the world. And as such, he passed down that wealth to his four children. And even today, his children are amongst the wealthiest and richest people in America. And it is hard to imagine, it is hard to imagine one of the Walton children living as a beggar. I mean, it would be incomprehensible for one of the Walton's heir, who themselves, again, are billionaires many times over, to be living or existing, wanting for food, wanting for shelter, wanting for clothing. This would seem preposterous because, beloved, the Waltons know who they are, and the Waltons know what they have. Unfortunately, many Christians do not. As Christians, the Bible reminds us over and over again, beloved, that we are rich beyond compare. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that we have every spiritual blessing from God, every spiritual blessing that God ever affords 
He has given to us his children, and yet too many of us live well, well below the richness of the mercy and the grace that we have received. Our text this morning, however, is another one of those reminders in the scriptures and indeed in 1 Peter. Reminder again of who we are in Christ and therefore how we should live in light of our new eternal identity. Now, beloved, I get it. And I understand. It is easy to get caught up in the world. It is very easy to get caught up in the world. I've seen it in your families. I've seen it in my family. And while it might surprise us, and while it might cause us to sit down and, and, and think how it can happen, we do understand, beloved, that no matter how wealthy the Waltons are, it is possible for one of the Waltons' children to find themselves living on the streets. It is possible for one of the Waltons' heirs to find themselves begging and living hand to mouth. And we all know that it's possible because the world takes no prisoners, beloved. It lures you in and it promises you pleasure only to chew you up and to spit you out. A man or a woman can go from the penthouse to the pig pen in no time at all. A few bad choices here, another bad decision there, and suddenly life is very different from where you began or for what or from where you intended it to be this is true of our children this is true of god's children too often god's children live far below the reality and the truth of their calling. And this is because we so easily get entangled, entangled with the thoughts and the desires and the influences of this world. We allow lust and greed and covetousness and bitterness and hatred and selfishness to distract us, and suddenly we find ourselves falling from the spiritual penthouse that God has for us into spiritual pig pens. We become shaken 
by unbelief. And we stumble, we stumble at the truth of God's love and his mercy for us in Jesus Christ. And therefore, therefore, the Bible over and over again shows us our need to be reminded of the truths that are found in our text this morning. Beloved, I pray you have your Bibles open. And I pray that you listen and you read and you meditate upon these words that are found here in 1 Peter. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. For they remind us of two important truths. One, that we are God's people. We are God's people. That's the first two verses. That's the first paragraph. We are God's people. The second paragraph is the second two, two verses. Since we are God's people, God's people live godly lives. We are God's people. God's people live godly lives. God has redeemed us. And given us every spiritual blessing and has placed us in the spiritual penthouse of his grace and his love. And therefore, he does not desire for us to be wallowing in the spiritual pigpens of this world. We are God's people. And God's people live godly lives. How do you make sure? How do you make sure that you don't slip from the penthouse to the pig pen? Well, first you need to be reminded who you are. Who you are. Know who you are. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. No matter, no matter how much, beloved, the world seeks to discourage your faith, no matter how much the, the world desires to despise the Christ we worship, the confidence, the confidence of the Christian and even the encouragement of the saints this morning is that you and I have been chosen by God. Chosen by God. We are the elect of God. We belong to God in every way. 
to prove this point, to prove this point, the Apostle Peter uses these four analogies drawn from the Old Testament, drawn from the Old Testament, speaking of God's relationship with Israel and applies them to God's relationship with us. And reminds us, therefore, that we are those people chosen by God from the very beginning. A chosen race. A chosen race. A generation chosen. Or literally speaking, a kind. A kind chosen from all the other kinds. That's what it says. A kind chosen out of all the other kinds. Out of all the generations of humanity, or as the ESV puts it this morning, of all the race, right? A chosen race out of humanity, out of all the generations, of all the race of humanity, God chose you. Because the church, beloved, is God's collective. Okay? The church is God's collective. The church, the true church, the eternal church, those who have been washed in the blood of Christ, those who have been ordained from the very beginning, those are the ones who are God's chosen collective. He says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, right? Those who have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. The church is God's choice. God's choice. And those chosen by God are called from every quote-unquote race, generation, or kind of people. There is not one kind that God prefers, prefers over another. In fact, Revelation chapter 5, right in verse 9, reminds us that there is no particular kind that he's more compatible with. You'll get that later. There is no particular kind that he's more compatible with, beloved. God's people come in all shapes and sizes and colors. Just as a side note, I won't get too far afield, Pastor Phil, but just as a side note, you know, race is a popular subject and discussion in our day. 
and people use the term in all types of ways that fit their agenda. But in the scriptures, beloved, it's important for us to understand that in the eyes of God, there really are only two races. There are only two races. The Bible does. The Bible does mention ethnicities. But when it comes to race, there are only two, right? There is the human race. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 that God made from one blood. At least that's the way the old King James just said, from one blood. Your modern translation says one man. Made from one blood, the human race. And then the only other race that God knows is or distinguishes is the chosen race. Okay? There's the human race, and there is the chosen race. All of us, everybody who has ever been born into the world belongs to the human race. The church, the true church, the Bible says, is the chosen race. Now, beloved, there are, again, just, just a little side note. Again, there are many, there are many ethnicities in the Bible. As there are many ethnicities today, and the Bible does not deny ethnicity, nor, however, does it call us to glory in our ethnicity. It doesn't deny our ethnicity, nor does it call us to glory in our ethnicity. I love the fact that God created me black. But being black might get me a nod here and a what's up over there and a little dap over here. But being black won't get me into heaven. It's not the black race. It's not the white race. It's the chosen race. In which, redeem, in which redemption has come, beloved. Again, Pastor Phil, that's just a side note. Let's get back to the text here. Because you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Or a kingdom of priests. And this again was Israel in the Old Testament, right? Israel was called of God to be, as it says in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, a kingdom of priests. But because of their idolatry, beloved, because of their frequent tendencies toward idolatry, God specialized the priesthood. But the design from the very beginning was for a nation to be a priest to God, a kingdom of priests to God. The whole nation of Israel was to be priests. And because of their sin, God localized the priesthood. God specialized the priesthood until the coming of Jesus Christ. 
And in the coming of Jesus Christ, Christ came as that great high priest whom it says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, now has made us and ordained all of us as priests. We're all priests. We're all priests. There's no special priest class anymore, beloved. There is no special orders today. We are all priests. This is what the Bible means in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 28, when the Bible begins to break down these distinctions. It reminds us, right, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Not only are we all God's children, but now we are all priests. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, that means, beloved, that there is no distinction. That there is no distinctions. That I don't have privileges with God that you don't. That all of us as believers are here this morning presenting our sacrifices to God, and we present our sacrifices to God on behalf of one another. There are no special priestly garments. We all have been robed in Christ. Christ is our mediator, and therefore you and I don't need another one. We all minister before the presence of God. We all have entered into the holy of holies through Christ. We don't have to call for a priest. Isn't that what people do? They get in trouble or something happens, they say call for a priest. Beloved, you don't have to call for a priest. You are a priest. Therefore, therefore, when I come over your house, and you're having some special occasion, or you're about to eat, you don't have to stop and say, Pastor, would you please pray? Because, beloved, anybody there who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has been washed in his blood, they can pray. God isn't hearing me any more than he hears you. In fact, sometimes I think he hears me less. You can pray, beloved. You can pray because God is attentive. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, he is attentive to the prayers of the righteous. And do you know that we are all righteous in Christ? You are a royal priesthood. You have access to God. And he hears you. You are a holy nation. Again, again, this was Israel's calling. Beloved in Exodus chapter, 13, in chapter 19 and verse 6, again. And their holiness, beloved, was, was to be distinguished. And their holiness was to be realized through the laws and through the ceremonies and through the holy days and through the washings and through the sacrifices. But in the coming of Christ Christ, the Bible tells us, has fulfilled all those laws. Christ has fulfilled all those ceremonies. Christ has fulfilled all those holy days. Christ has become all those sacrifices. 
Therefore, all who are in him are now holy, set apart, in relationship, touched by God, ordained for his holy use and purposes. That's us, beloved. God has touched you and has set you apart for his use. And therefore, you need never hear anybody in the world tell you you are useless. Because the holy God of heaven has determined that you are useful. Because he has touched you. He has called you. He has set you apart for his purposes. You are a holy nation. You have been touched by God for his purposes, for his pleasure, for his plan. And that holy nation, beloved, is a new nation. You are a new nation, a new creation. You know, Israel was a nation created by God and set apart for God's purposes. That is a relationship with him. But you do understand, but they were just a picture, a foreshadowing of Christ, of Christ who is the new creation. The new nation, beloved, is not just Jews, but the Bible says Jews and Gentiles both together set apart for the plan and purposes of God at the end of the age. All of us, all of us, one people for God's purpose and pleasure, holy, set apart for him. You are a holy nation. You are a kingdom of priests. You are chosen by God. But that would seem to be more than enough. But God doesn't stop there. But he says, you are a people for his own possession. Again, again, beloved, this is taken directly from the Old Testament in reference to Israel. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob. And who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Again, again, that which the Bible says about Israel in the Old Testament, it says even more so about the church, the people of God in the New Testament, beloved one of the most beloved and blessed terms of, of endearment used for us in the Bible of those who are saved by grace is when God refers to us as his people. God looks down and says, those are my people. You know, you know, what, you, you, know what you mean when you say that, right? Right? Those are my people. 
That's a term of that's that's a term of familial identity, isn't it? It's a term of intimacy. It's a term of affection. It's a term of identification when you say, those are my people. And there are times when you look at them and you don't want them to be your people. You go to a family reunion and you look around and you say, and you say are those, are, do they really belong here? But in the final analysis, you got to say, yeah, those are my people. Those are my people. God looks upon us in all of our waywardness, in all of our rebellion, in all of our sinfulness. And he says throughout the ages, yeah, but those are my people. Those are my people. This is what he said about Israel. This is a term used over and over again, beloved, in the Old Testament. It should remind us of God's grace and his love toward us and the intimacy with which he desires relationship with us. When Israel was languishing in, in Egypt under the yoke of bondage, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction, uh, the affliction of who? My people. I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And seeing the affliction of his people, he called Moses. And he sent Moses to Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. What did God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh? Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let who go? My people. Those are my people. Let my people go. Not the Canaanites. Not the Midianites. Not the Edomites. My people. And when his people fell into sin and rebellion, and when sin began to engulf the nature, be, nation because of their idolatry, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse 14, that God said, if who? My people. If my people, not those out in the world, not the Egyptians, my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. My people. And then, because of their rebellion, when God sent them into exile, and the nation was divided and warfare was all around. The Bible says that God sent his prophet Isaiah to speak a word to his people. In Isaiah chapter 40, God tells Isaiah to speak. Comfort, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort my people. 
And therefore, beloved, it should not surprise us that when Mary is with child and the angel comes to Joseph and wants to reassure Joseph that that which is happening in Mary and to Mary is a comfort to Israel because Israel is God's people. And he says, Joseph, when the baby is born, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save who? No, 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 no. He will save all the Egyptians. He will save all the Canaanites. He will save the Philistines. No, the Bible says that he will save his people. Hope you get that. Hope you get that, beloved. Hope you get that. Because now, here in 1 Peter, the Bible says that you who were once not a people, now you are the people of God. You belong to God, a people for his own possession, precious beloved. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter then what the world says. It doesn't matter how the world treats us. We belong to God. We belong to him because as the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, he has purchased us and he has purchased us with his own blood. We belong to him. We are his. Now, in a sense, beloved, in a sense, everybody belongs to God. Right? Everyone belongs to God because everything is his. And he has created all things. And he has created all people. All creation is his. Ah, but not everyone is privileged. his privileged possession. Not everyone is purchased by him. Not everyone is therefore put on display. Because not everyone not everyone has been, as the Bible says here, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those are his people. Been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what the Bible reminds us, right? In Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 2, reminds us that there was a people, there has been a people who walked in darkness. And to these people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them now has this light shone. It's the people of God. What distinguishes the people of God from people of the world is that their eyes have been opened. And they have, in the midst of the darkness of this world, in the midst of the darkness of their sin, a light has shone upon them, and they have seen this great light. Jesus, Jesus, the light of the world. And therefore, they have been called to show forth his glory. And not everyone, beloved, not everyone has been called to show forth the glory of 
God because they have been called of darkness into this marvelous light. Not everyone has been shown the light that breaks through the darkness of sin and death. Not everyone has been shown mercy. But if you are one of his this morning, I hope you remember that once you had no name, but now you have a name. That once you had no home, but now you have a home. That once you had no people, but now you have, uh, you have God's people. That once you were headed toward eternity all alone with no hope, but now you are going into eternity with the saints of God in the fullness of his mercy and his grace. You are his people upon whom his light has shone. You who were not a people, now you are one. You who did not have a home, now you belong to the household of God. You who had not been a recipient of his mercy, now you have received his mercy unto eternal life. And if that is the case, beloved, that is the case. If you are God's people, precious possession, if you are a royal priesthood, if you have been chosen by God, if you are a holy nation, then what? Then what? Then don't wallow in the pig's pens of this world. But live as the Lord has called you in the light of all of his blessings and grace and love. Notice what the text says in verse 11, right? Beloved, I urge you. Did you hear that? Beloved, you are loved of God. These are all the blessings you have received from God. And since that is true, I urge you, please, you are rich in mercy and love. I urge you, therefore, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage a war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Beloved, you, need, you and I need to understand this morning again that we have been granted these great and awesome privileges in Christ, chosen by God, precious people of his own possessions. We have a priesthood where now we have direct access to God and the confidence that God, the God of the universe, he hears us and he cares about us. We are a spiritual house that the Lord God is building for his holy worship, that we are indispensable and that we are indestructible. And since this is the case, since you have these great privileges, since we are the recipients of these glorious promises, don't wallow. 
Don't wallow in the muck, in the mud of this world, beloved. Stop looking. Stop looking like the world. Stop wishing and wanting like the world. Stop talking like the world. I get it. It is easy to do. But when you are washed in the world all the time, it is easy to do. When me and my wife, we, we went to, we've been to Canada a couple times and, and, and spent extended time in Canada. And, beloved, we were in Canada a few days, and suddenly I noticed that I started talking like I was Canadian. <laughs> Y'all going to church, eh? <laughs> Where you live, eh? I'm like, whoa, we got to get out of here. Get me back to Georgia. When you are washed in the world, beloved, it is easy to begin to talk like the world. It's easy to begin to look like the world. It's easy to begin to want and to wish and desire like the world. But notice what the text says, beloved. In fact, in fact, the text says five things, okay? We'll give you five things that the text says to us this morning. And they're going to be quick, and they're going to be brief. Amen? Amen. All right. The first one is this, okay? Expect to be treated as you are. Okay? The Bible says, as sojourners and exiles. Foreigners, foreigners and strangers. That's who we are. We're foreigners and strangers. Okay, that was our problem when we were in Canada. Okay, we, I began to forget that I'm a stranger and foreigner here. I don't talk like that. But I began to want to begin to fit in and talk the language as we want to do, beloved. Do you? Ever feel like a stranger, like, and you should, beloved, like you don't speak the language? Oh, someone forgot to tell you how to dress? Well, that should be true because you are an alien, you do know. You should feel that way, beloved, from time to time because we are foreigners. And we are strangers in this world. This world is not our home. Those are not my brothers and sisters out there. At one time, at one time they were. At one time I was at home out there. At one time, those that was my family. At one time, those were my brothers and sisters. At one time I was at home out there. And I was a foreigner and stranger to the things of God. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and 19 that that has been reversed. So now, when it comes to the things of God, I am no longer stranger of foreigners or aliens. But we are fellow citizens with the saints and we are members of God's household. Now that's strange. Now the world is foreign. I remember, I remember when Sheena first came 
the East Point Church. We're meeting down in the basement of um, East Point Press. And she walked in there. She thought we were strange. <laughs> she wondered, what did she just walk into? This was foreign to anything that she had ever seen in her life. And that is until the Lord God touched her heart and that light shone into the darkness and then she became his precious personal possession and now that which was foreign to her is home and that which was once home is now foreign. That's what God does, beloved. Don't be afraid to be a stranger and foreigner and alien in this world because you are. And don't be surprised when they treat you that way. Expect to be treated as you are. Second thing the Bible says here, remember to fight the good fight against the flesh. You know, I, I am convinced and I know that most of you would probably agree that there does not seem to be a more powerful enemy or foe of the Christian life than the flesh. Now, actually, there is, beloved, but it doesn't seem like it most of the time. It doesn't seem like it. Abstain, abstain, it says, here from the passions of the flesh which war against the soul. Few things, there are few things, beloved, that can tear you down from the spiritual penthouse that God has ordained for you into the spiritual pig pen like fleshly lust. Do it quick. Many a man and many a woman have fallen because of covetousness, because of wanton desire, and probably anything else, beloved. The idea here, the idea here is that fight against the dissatisfaction in your heart. That's what it means. Fight against that. Someone has rightly said that sin is what we do when our heart is not satisfied with God. Whenever your heart is not satisfied with God, your heart is going to run after other things. And all those other things are going to lead you away from God, from that spiritual penthouse, down into the pig pen. And that's why the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in God. Delight yourself in God. Beloved, we are all natural-born addicts. Did you know that? We are natural-born addicts. The human heart longs for satisfaction. Longs to be satisfied. Longs to be full. And if you don't fill it with God, You're going to fill it with all the desires and lust 
and covetousness that the world has to offer. Know that, beloved. Know that. We are natural-born addicts, and God designs us to be addicted to him. Don't be afraid of that. To be addicted to Jesus. If somebody accuses you of that, you just tell them, I'd rather be addicted to that than what you're addicted to. Because we all, we all, beloved, are addicted to something. You fight that flesh. And you say, no, I want to fill my heart with Jesus. More love to Jesus. More love to him. Fight the flesh and thereby control your conduct. Control your conduct. It says here, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will. Right? They will. They will, beloved. Because the enemy wants nothing more. Okay? The enemy wants nothing more than to destroy your testimony and undermine your witness to those watching. It's what he wants. That's what he wants. That's what he wants to do to undermine your testimony. Destroy your witness to those who are watching. And you know what? They watch, they're watching. They're watching. Oh, how closely they're watching. It's amazing to me how the world is quick. Quick to tell Christians how to live. Tell Christians what they should and should not be doing. Never mind, they're not living that way. Never mind, they're not loving like that. They're quick, quick, quick to tell Christians how to live. And when you don't live, the first thing they want to say, oh, and you call yourself a Christian. And you say, yes, I do, beloved. Because the Christian is not always better. But the Christian is always better off. And that is the comfort. The Christian is always better off because the Christian is always forgiven. The Christian is always better off because no matter how far the Christian slips, the Christian knows that they don't slip eternally. That no matter how far we fall, that we don't fall finally. Because we have been the recipients of his mercy. And we belong to him. But still, beloved, mind your conduct. Let us mind our conduct. Because we are Christians. We do belong to God. And when they come to us and they accuse us wrongly, let them accuse us and then let their words come to naught. Because all we have been doing is loving and living faithfully as strangers and foreigners in this world. Watch your conduct. Control your conduct. And live for the glory of God. Notice what it says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so they may see your good deeds and do what? 
Glorify God. Glorify God. Glorify God. And we remember, therefore, that it is not us that we want people to see, but it is Christ. It's not you that you desire people to admire, but the Christ in you. And so this is the anthem of the Christian. As Pastor Phil read this morning, not nobus domine, Psalm 115 and 1, not unto us, O Lord, but unto you, unto your name give glory. That's the desire of the redeemed. That's the anthem of the faithful. And oftentimes, the means that the Redeemer uses to glorify himself is the lives of the redeemed. And this is what we should know, beloved. Live our lives in such a way. Let, as Jesus says, let our light so shine that others will see our good works and make much of us no, but make much of the God who has called us. And when we are given opportunity to point people to Christ. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're faithful every day. So that when given opportunity to speak, we point people to Jesus. What do we say? Expect to be treated as you are. Fight the fight against the flesh. Con control your conduct. Live for God's glory. And lastly, but not least of all, beloved, don't buy a home in this world. Don't do it. Don't do it. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Because you do know the Lord is returning. You do know the Lord is returning. Oh, beloved, and when he returns, how sad it would be if he'd have to pry you from these things. How sad it would be that you clench and you hold on to the possessions and the people of this world. The Lord is coming again. And he reminds us, therefore, don't get comfortable in this world. So as to not to want to leave it when the time comes. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. He's going to visit again. And when the Lord returns, beloved, the world and the unrighteous won't be ready for judgment. But you and I must be, we must be ready, beloved. This is what you want. Not only to hear the Lord come and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But will there be those there who will say, yeah, Pastor Tony tried to tell me. Now I see what he was saying. Now I see how he was seeking to live. Now I see how he was seeking to lead. But it'll be too late. 
Live your life, beloved. Whereas you haven't bought a house in this world. When my wife and I moved back to Atlanta, we were renting. We rented several houses down south of town. And the reason that we were renting was, one, because we couldn't afford to buy. But there was another reason that we were renting, beloved. We were renting because we hadn't confirmed or really got a sense of where the Lord was calling us. And therefore, we wanted to be ready when he called to pick up and move quickly and easily. And so in a sense, we were living out of a suitcase. But that's what we do in this world, right, beloved? We live out of a suitcase. Because there's coming a day when the Lord is going to visit. There's going to come a day when the Lord is going to knock on the door and he's going to look and he says, are your bags packed? Are you ready to go? Or will you be scrambling around trying to grab a few things here and a few things there and find out that the bridegroom has already come and gone and the door is shut. But you got your house built upon the sand. When that storm comes and it's coming, it's going to fall over like a house of cards. Don't buy a house in this world, beloved. Keep your suitcase packed. For the Lord is coming again. And you belong to him. Let's pray.